from runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 344, SQL Server 2014, with guest Kevin Klein. Recorded Monday, November 25th, 2013. Run As Radio is produced each week by Quap Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brendan. This is Richard Campbell, and thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm squeezing in my Run As shows between yet another crazy series of stops on a .NET Rocks road trip. If you go over to aka.ms slash modernapps2013, you'll see we're bombing around the U.S. once again, talking about a whole host of stuff in the way software is being built today. But that's not what we're doing today. I've got a bunch of good conversations coming together on RunAs, and with me today is Kevin Klein. And uh, he's last time he was on the show was two years ago, which is disturbing to me. I've clearly made a mistake. Uh, Kevin's a longtime SQL Server MVP, founder and former president of PASS, and the author of SQL in a Nutshell. Uh, Klein tweets at K.E. Klein and blogs at KevinEKlein.com. Always a battle with the actor, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, and Kevin Klein is a longtime software industry veteran, currently serving as the Director of Engineering Services at SQL Century, a leading vendor of database and business intelligence tools. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks so much. Glad to be here. And the last time I saw you, I was at Dev Intersection, wasn't it? It sure was. And you were on the SQL Intersection side of things. Yes. Talking about ways to improve SQL queries. Mm-hmm. Right, which is an endless battle. It, well, exactly. I was going to say that's an evergreen topic. You know, uh, yeah. it's like weeds. Every year you you cut them down, and then uh, you know you come back a little bit later, and there's a whole, whole new crop that you have to uh, you have to kind of shape up and 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 uh, pull the bad weeds out and let the good stuff grow. Absolutely. Hey, about a month ago, I published on Run As the entire SQL Q&A panel from SQL Intersection with Kim and Paul and Brent Ozar and. Uh, it was really, for me, it was real. It's been a while. I do lots of panel discussions on the development side. I don't think I've done almost any. I think it's one of the very first ones I've ever done on the run as side to, mm. it, and it was all questions from the audience. It was really interesting to me to see what people are troubled by in SQL Server these days. And it felt to me like the sophistication of queries today is higher. The, the kind of things that people are trying to express into from their databases now is complex. Indeed, uh, you know we're we're seeing a kind of um, a kind of a split in the in the in the community in a wider sense where you have um, people who just need a data store. Yeah, they just need a place to throw data, and for them, those are frequently not the kind of people who go to conferences much mm-hmm. or maybe even you know, look at discussion forums very often. It's, they're just kind of operating at such a fundamental, you know, elementary level that I just got to stick some data into a database somewhere and make sure I can do a backup. Well, and, and these days, there's so many other choices besides a relational database, too. If you don't really care about how your data is stored and structured, you just want to put it somewhere, like, there's some NoSQL offering for you. Oh, indeed. You know, and that's something we could we could have a whole nother call about, uh, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to talk about that. And, you know, uh, I, I think the Microsoft party line in some ways is that, uh, you know, SQL Server can do everything. Right. Uh, and that's one of the big 
things that we'll probably talk about for a minute or two uh, in the 2014 release sure. is it does have a lot more hooks into the NoSQL side of the house. But the truth is that NoSQL is actually, uh, depending on the, the different engines you might choose from, are they're really good at specific things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I, and it did feel like when I first saw the NoSQL movement kick off and sort of become a thing in the Microsoft space, at least, my reaction to it was, oh, good, because we'd gone way too far down the relational database path. You know, when people are building tables at just a store name value pairs as configuration data, you know you're in a special kind of hell. Yes, indeed. And, and you know, that name value pair that you mentioned or, you know, entity value key si- kinds of structures, those really do suit themselves really well for a NoSQL. Sure, uh, for some other storage medium. Well, exactly. We got people to stop sticking stuff in any files in, in the system directory of Windows. That's <laughs> right. good. You know, we stopped that. Uh, we stopped doing the whole XML thing because that got evil too. Oh, yes. Uh, but stepping everything into relational database is just as evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The, it's very, very good. You know, it's got the word relational right there in it. Yeah. When you have data that you need to relate to other sorts of data that has kind of a logical and semantical differentiation, you know, customers are different from the orders that they place. Right. And then, you know, that, put that into a relational database. But there are other times when you just need to log values uh, very, very quickly. Right. Yeah. Maybe you've got a stock market application. Just want to stick stuff away. Mm-hmm. Another thing that is really great about uh, NoSQL is that, uh, and I think particularly important to developers, is that relational databases are uh, what we call schema on creation. Right. You, know, you need to spend a lot of time normalizing your database and making sure you've got good data types and primary keys and foreign keys. And so you spend some time building it before you ever build it. Mm -hmm. Whereas NoSQL databases, generally speaking, really lend themselves well to schema on extraction. So you can just say, you know what, I'm going to capture everything I can think of that this set of sensors is producing or this data stream is producing. I want to grab it all and I'm going to write the schema for what I want to get out of it way after the fact you right know, maybe the first go it's it's much more like uh, an artist or you know if you've ever seen a person drawing and they'll sketch something in to begin with and they'll come back and add more detail mm-hmm. and then more detail after that so it's the sort of thing where uh, developers i think like to work in that sort of mode in which hey i'm not sure everything i need so let me start with you know the, these two values that i'm going to get out of this big data stream but i'm going to grab the whole data stream and then if i figure out other ways to use that data stream i can come back after the fact and you know build the schema that i need for these other data uh, bits does this in, in really that. reflect the origin of data storage in the first place i mean Relational databases have always been about the querying, getting data out. And we jump through a lot of hoops to store it well so that it's easy to query. And in the NoSQL thing, it's just been, here, hold this. We'll figure out how to get it out later. Yeah, and in fact, the origins, that's a, that's a great kind of segue if we want to talk about the, you know, the life of, uh, and history of different technologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, relational databases came into play um, after the you know, kind of widespread adoption of, um, of batch processing. Yes. And the idea was we need customers to interface directly with our business and, and it typically applied to the handling of money. So, you know, customers are not going to take it 
lightly or they're not going to be okay with it if you go to an ATM with a COBOL-driven system and you say, I want $100, and today it gives you 101 and tomorrow it gives you 98 Yeah. You know, it's got to be That consistent. makes people sad. It does. <laughs> it, 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 even more so, it's like pitchforks and torches, yeah. you know, they're going to they're gonna storm the castle. Do so, not make mistakes like this. Right. So, uh, you know, relational databases, all of them, Oracle's, uh, SQL Server, Sybase, uh, DB2, MySQL, they're all governed by the ACID properties of right. transactions, that old acronym. And um, no SQL databases aren't. They don't have to be governed by things like consistency and durability and isolation. So because they can, they can take a lot of shortcuts, they can be extremely fast. Sure. By and, I, and I have, uh, you know, in my capacity as an architect, found a few NoSQL stores that are ACID compliant. Where they, where they have jumped through that hoop just because there are certain projects where, you know, you still want that kind of reliability. Yes. And in fact, that is something that is pretty cool with some of these specific platforms is that you can you can have it if you want it or you can even say turn it off. Yeah. Uh, you know, much more effectively than than what the relational databases enable you to do. So there are definitely great use cases for them. And you're telling me that there's some NoSQLness coming into SQL Server now? Well, I wouldn't say uh, NoSQL coming in specifically, but right. there is quite a bit built in now to uh, SQL Server 2014 to make it much easier to attach to your NoSQL data sources. Okay. Almost, almost seamless. It's called uh, One of the main features is called HD Insight, and you can get it both in the on-premises version and on the... Um, on the cloud version, and the the whole idea there is to build out around big data and and things like that. So uh, you know, if you want to uh, process with HD Insight, you can certainly use that. You can also use the hooks that they have built in for things like um, HortonWorks, uh, their implementation of Hadoop and HBase, right? And, and, and those kinds. Of so is this all? Is, is HD Insight the new name for connecting? Uh, Hadoop to SQL Server? Exactly. Okay. It provides all of the ease of management sort of features and gives you uh, open enterprise-ready Hadoop services in the cloud, sure. at least the, uh, the Azure version of it. Does. Well, and Hadoop lends itself so well to the cloud, in many ways better than SQL Server does. Right, right. You know, you can take advantage of things like the scale-out and elasticity that the cloud gives yeah. you much much easier. It's just a, a natural uh, behavior. MapReduce was meant for many instances. Exactly. Yeah. Just spread that across a, a whole variety of nodes. And that's a very different, you know, we sort of started this conversation a little more uh, developer-y talking about NoSQL from the point of view of a developer. It just doesn't want to figure out the data in advance. Just hold this for me. Mm -hmm. But the big data side of the NoSQL thing is a very different critter. So there's uh, there's a lot of nomenclature that is sometimes confusing for us when we're coming at um, all of the the NoSQL things from mm -hmm. outside. Uh, if you're looking at Hadoop, for example, there's Hadoop, then there's HBase and Hive yep. and MapReduce. Each one of those has a different function. For sure. for example, uh, Hive is kind of the the query language. It's a SQL like language that enables you to write your queries uh, in a way that you don't have to write like Java or something like that. Uh, HBase is more the data store, and Hadoop is the, uh, I guess you could say, the scale-out feature that lets you parcel it across many different nodes. Yeah. And then MapReduce will push out and uh, 
you know, pull back in all of the different work sets that it sends out. So our, is that is that how you'd call MapReduce? Yeah, absolutely. Although I, I when I said MapReduce, I wasn't necessarily saying context of Hadoop. MapReduce is a, a really a a, a pattern of uh, software for distributing and then collating uh, information across multiple systems. Uh, right. Hadoop being a good manifestation certainly takes advantage of that concept, which is it's this is just some stuff that SQL Server doesn't think this way. You know, deep right. down in the heart of SQL Server is this relational database model where we try really hard to store each piece of data once. Mm-hmm. And that exactly right. d- doesn't lend it. You know, it challenges scale. Now we ha- we federate instead of distribute. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting to see we're, that we bang against these limits and we're trying to use the right things for the right places. And, I, and I'm happy that Microsoft's embracing that, that they're not going for this uh, SQL Server will do everything for you. Uh, kind of mentality that are just incorporating these different technologies so that it's easy to get between them. Right, right. Jumping back into the 2014 side of things, I mean, certainly it's good to see this being integrated in. Don't you get that feeling sometimes it's like, isn't the relational database done? Haven't we built all the features we need to build? Uh, <laughs> uh, a great point. That is that is something that is very much debated quite frequently. You know, it's it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you have a high-end luxury automobile, it's like, gosh, you know, what do we do at this point? It goes as fast as we want. It's, you know, it's as comfortable as possible. Yeah. I mean, do we really need to put windshield wipers on the headlights? Yeah. Uh, it's, it, there is a bit of that. Um, and, you know, wondering what is it that we are going to do uh, next. So, yeah, there, there's definitely some, some elements of that. One of the kind of big elements of discussion in, in the kind of high end community, mm-hmm. the people who are really kind of pushing the envelope is, is the whole break between the features available in standard edition of SQL Server and in the enterprise edition. You know, nowadays, if you want any of the good stuff, you have to buy a, a much more expensive enterprise edition license. Right. And the standard edition license is, you know, much more limited in what it gives you. And there's a lot of people who would like to see standard edition have all of the features. Right. Just much more limited. You know, maybe you can address a smaller amount of memory and Mm -hmm. you can do online index rebuilds for a smaller set of tables and things like that. Because, you know, like you said, 80% of the market is doing stuff that we did 10 years ago. Sure. Well, and, so, and I would argue, you know, especially online index rebuilding, it's like, yeah, if you're running standard edition, you've probably got a couple of hours in your in your given day that you could rebuild an index. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and and I think most businesses are that way. We've got we've got plenty of time in our preventative maintenance windows, mm-hmm. so we can do a backup um, without having to worry about all kinds of, uh, you know. Uh, performance enhancements to make it super fast yeah. or stay online. Well, and I also appreciate it. And you know, funny thing is the last show we did together, which was back in 2011, was talking about Denali, mm. right? Talking about 2012. And mm-hmm. one of the things I really appreciated in 2012 was that it seemed like Microsoft got serious about uh, geographical data and mm-hmm. being able to not, not only to store geographical objects properly, but really being able to query them, being able to aggregate them. Like that to me was pretty cool and clearly a new set of functionality that is useful in a database. I just mm-hmm. don't know how many more of those there are. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And to, to kind of address that a little bit about what's coming in 2014, mm-hmm. some of the neat things that they are doing that in my mind do make a lot of sense is, 
let's say in the business intelligence space, there is a lot of new features. I guess you could say they're data exploration features. And, you know, what is the, the world's most heavily used data crunching tool? It's Excel. Excel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Why did we true. know that? I'm so, yeah. I'm embarrassed. It's true, but it is it's true. horrible. Uh, you know, I think there's like 300 million users yeah. of Excel yeah. around the world. And it only makes sense to make it easy for Excel power users to attach to a SQL server yeah. for all kinds of data visualization. And so that's the sort of thing that they are coming out with, a new PowerView browser-based add-in for Excel. Because, I, you know, back in the SQL 7 timeframe, which, holy man, is that a long time ago now, mm-hmm. when they first got OLAP services, and I was an OLAP guy in the 90s, so, uh, you know, Arbor S-Space and, and MicroStrategy and really expensive data warehousing mm-hmm. products. And here, and I, and the folks knew I came from the Microsoft world. They said, well, what do you think about OLAP services and SQL services? I think your whole market's world's about to be disrupted. Hang on. Cause this is what Microsoft's good at is they're going to give away something you charged a quarter million dollars for. Yes. But it absolutely. never seemed to come to be. I think that was a, um, organizational maturity issue mm-hmm. nowadays you know sql server is a big business the sql server alone for microsoft is about six billion dollars a year sure and the bi component of it the sql server analysis services uh, you know i don't have any real numbers and i'm not betraying any confidences when i say this but i would guess it's it's in the high teens to 20% of their revenue, right. their licenses. are So, you know, that's a billion-dollar business sure. just, on, um, just on the SQL Server OLAP side. And so, when I think about, you know, what uh, S-Base or Informatica or, you know, any of those other guys would have charged to give you the same set of features, yeah. it would have been a five-fold, inc- you know, to, that would have been $5 billion worth of license fees from those guys just because they are a lot more expensive. Well, and I, and I bring it up because at some point – in the in the past, I think it was in the 2010 timeframe, they sort of punted on building a custom client for OLAP and just said it's going to be Excel. And and that's what people were using anyway. Right. For your uh exactly, you know, for your data exploration and visualization. Yeah. I, and this is one thing, you know, I think you probably have done as well as an architect. You know, I as an architect, I look at a lot of the non-technical variables and parameters of a s- situation. And one of the big parameters I always factor in when suggesting a particular architecture is what is the skill set of your people? Yeah. You know, if you've got great SQL Server people, don't bring in a big multi-million dollar Oracle application. Yeah. Flip side, you know, if you've got all Oracle people and that's where they're productive, don't ram a SQL Server application no, no, you, down there. Skill sets are so valuable and, and not that easy to change. Exactly. At least in the IT space, I find it more disruptive in the development space, but certainly in the IT space, we're feeling like, you know, these guys know how to make the system run and they have confidence in it. You're really disrupting things to change your technology. Indeed, indeed. And so, you know, if, if your business users are really good at Excel, let's give it to them in yeah, Excel. let them have it. You know, what a big win uh, the IT department could finally have. Instead of fighting with them, you make them happy. And, uh, wow, that could really change your life. Well, and and it's interesting to me, you're talking about these new features in 2014 related to Excel. It's almost like we're starting to disintermediate the OLAP side of this. That except for very big cases, simple data analytics can be done directly between this Excel plugin and SQL Server. 
Right. The data is organized enough. And I laugh because I'm old enough now to remember this is what Ted Codd intended. That's right. You know, like this was actually what this database was supposed to be good at. Yeah, I know the marketing people sold us on transactional velocity, but it, no, they, this was about being able to explore data effectively. Exactly. You know, um, and it's funny you mentioned that because that was exactly what I was thinking at the time. It's like, remember when, uh, you know, the uh, all the, you know, the industry thought leaders are saying, we're going to give you the ability to query, you know, get the right data at the right time to the right people. Right. And, you know, um, here we are in a situation um, where that's finally, that's finally happening. And, and it's not, it's not happening because we made our IT tools better. It's happening because we made our, you know, all the IT kind of uh, glass, um, the, you know, the glass room sort of data right. that was, firewalled off we're now giving that to you with the tools you like to use yeah there's just no secrets anymore right you can do what you want to do well and how many times have we been promised that the regular mortals are going to be able to query data and i've never seen that actually true well exactly so you know you mentioned the word disintermediation Mm -hmm. and that's that's exactly what we're shooting for here we have a situation where we have all of these new features power pivot is an add-in for Excel that lets you analyze that data, you know, pivot and spin it, uh, do really smart and really neat data visualizations. Right. Then we've got the power view add-in, another uh, add-in for Excel that gives you the ability to visualize all kinds of data and uh, the geospatial sort of uh, data that we had talked about Mm -hmm. before. And I have to be really careful when I'm talking about these add-ins because then, of course, we have PowerPoint, which has nothing to do with any yeah. of these things. <laughs> what was PowerPoint? Didn't it? Isn't it already come and gone? Oh my goodness! Uh, well, I, I don't know about you, but as a speaker, I feel like I'm living under death by PowerPoint. Yeah, I'm totally with you. <laughs> yeah, and and it's just uh, I try. And the only you know the sad part about PowerPoint is it's the worst product you could use, except for all the other ones. Exactly. Like, I tried, I really tried to use Keynote. I really tried. And then I mm. just, I wanted to kill myself. Mm. Uh, I haven't even. I've just gotten into the habit now. If, if I'm going to make slides, they only have graphics or pictures on them. If, mm. You mm-hmm. know, I'm trying to avoid the cognitive dissonance. There should be only one speaking point. If I'm talking, then that should be a picture. Because if that thing's text, then it should be what's speaking, which means I have to do interpretive dance and nobody wants to see that. <laughs> Oh, good stuff, though. Good yeah, stuff. well, you do what you got to do, right? So how do I, you know, it's all about communicating effectively. That's right. You know, the other piece that I've really noticed in SQL 2014, and it, and of course, this is happening across the Microsoft spread, is deeper integration with the cloud. Oh, my goodness. This is something, again, this is something we could just spend hours on. Sure. The, the, the first thing that I would tell any IT pro, uh, you know, a DBA or a system admin who has some database responsibilities is, Start learning right now. Mm -hmm. You really need to become familiar with what Microsoft can do in the cloud, um, you know, traditional on-staff sorts of things, and how you can take a traditional on-premises architecture and roll it into perhaps a private cloud or or even a hybrid private-public cloud or a fully public cloud. Uh, Microsoft is um, actually the industry leader, I would say right now, in hybrid offerings where you have some stuff on-premises, some stuff in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can do that so seamlessly, you know, using Active Directory. And uh, so, you know, it can authenticate in both places and, and give you some really neat, neat capabilities. But the other thing that, you, that 
I think most IT pros have not um, fully kind of, uh, well, I want to use the word grok. Is, does that work for you? Sure. Okay. So I'm a Highland guy. I could deal with that. <laughs> so they haven't fully grokked yet is that um, the, the cloud is now the pace setter for everything else yes. inside of Microsoft. So, you know, it's, it's hard for me as an enterprise DBA and, and, you know, the manager of our architecture system, it was hard for me to keep up with three-year release cycles. And about a year ago, two years ago, with the Denali release, they publicly said, we're going to go to an 18 to 24-month release cycle. Right. And that's really aggressive for enterprises. That's really hard. Yes. But behind the scenes, what they were saying is now that we're doing cloud things, you know, with the cloud, you can release a new feature or an improvement or a hot fix, you know, behind the scenes as soon as you develop it. You yep. don't have to wait for that next big release cycle. And so many of the, you know, the dev teams that are working on SQL Server features, and this is true of other products as well uh, in Microsoft stack, that they're developing it for cloud today, even though the next version isn't, you know, 2014 isn't planned until months from now. Right. Or, you know, when we're starting the cycle, year or two from now. So there are all kinds of things that are, are going to be hitting and happening much more rapidly in, in, a, in a very seamless sort of way for enterprise IT people. And it's the sort of thing that if you can uh, move those applications that will work well in the cloud to the cloud, then you're almost um, alleviated from all of your worries about maintaining updates and patches and you know, it just makes your life enormously sure. easier. Also, from a development perspective for Microsoft, it's not only they get to put that feature out quickly, but they get to test it in real world. By the time they put together a package to deploy 18 to 24 months later, all those features have been tested and beaten on. They're really well-defined and used. Exactly right. And so they're able to rule in and rule out the edge cases very quickly, whereas under the, the old on-premises way of doing things, it takes them a long time to figure out that, hey, this feature that we just spent time and money and energy you know, developing for the last two years, mm -hmm. nobody really cares. Yeah. <laughs> and now when it's in the cloud, they're like, oh, look, we're getting uptake right away or we're, we're not. not getting uptake yeah. right you away. You know yeah. within a month that it didn't do anything. But And I also appreciate the idea that the cloud's running at a larger scale, at a higher stress level, at a larger level of distribution than almost any customer's ever going to run. So you've really stressed technology. I think Windows has been dramatically better because of Azure. Yes, good point. And uh, while we are talking about developers, another thing that's kind of interesting with the, the cloud um, is I would recommend to developers to learn a little bit more about things like um, – Oh, you know, stateless programming mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. Microsoft is taking a lot of steps to enable what they call code far programming designs. You know, I'm using little air quotes when I say that. Yeah. So uh, you might be using Access 2013 to build a local front end against a back end that's actually in the cloud. Yeah, rather somewhere than, else. Yeah. And so there's, there's some little nuances that are pretty important uh, about pushing things out to the to the cloud you know you might want to allow a longer time for query timeouts um, you know before it actually throws an error you might want to allow uh, for things like um, oh gosh what else you know it, it might have to authenticate against a couple databases one in the cloud and one locally in yep. the building you know things of that nature yeah, I think this is beginning to become the norm for for some level of folks but and I appreciate you know it's definitely changed the way we build software. 
the, the there's still a good group of folks that just want all their stuff to be on prem and mm-hmm. you know in a controlled space they're not trying to challenge any of that and for them i've got to think they really look at stuff that's happening in 2014 and even in 2012 and wondering do i need this i mean the the licensing model alone in 2012 was a barrier for some folks mm-hmm. but if yeah. i'm still living in 2010 and i'm looking at 20 what's already visible here in 2014 there's mm-hmm. got to be a real wrestling match with is this important to me if i'm just storing data does it matter right right yeah, those are very important questions. The cloud opens up other opportunities and other questions as well. For example, at the Big Pass Summit uh, just last month, mm-hmm. one of the things that was announced was some very, very powerful new backup capabilities. Right. So, in fact, you can actually back up any version of SQL Server from 2005 later. Um, so even if you're running a, one of these older versions, you can now have uh, a backup in the cloud to Azure. And, you know, that gives you a lot of nice benefits as well. Yeah. Because if you're using the, the Windows Azure storage, uh, um, uh, gosh, I think it's called the storage feature, mm-hmm. um, it uh, will make multiple geographically dispersed copies of that. So now you have kind of, um, a, you know, a small enterprise who doesn't want to buy a, uh, a full passive server, you know, for a cluster yeah. and, and you don't want to consider, I mean, you know, geographic dis- dispersed data centers because that's so expensive. Now you actually can get that very inexpensively uh, built right into um, your interface with uh, the cloud. So you could have a SQL Server 2005 database that gets backed up to Windows Azure storage and then is, you know, uh, backed up and duplicate uh, across a couple other data sites as well. Yeah. Well, and I really like that. I, we've done shows in the past about this idea of should we use the cloud just for disaster storage, like backup systems and, uh, and recovery options so that you don't have to go redundant data centers and so forth. Not a lot of people can afford that these days. So oh, exactly. The idea that you pay as you go. And when it's in backup mode, it's very inexpensive. It's only right. when you actually have to light it up because you've lost your main system that it's going to cost you anything uh, significant. Right. And you can also use uh, Windows Azure uh, always on. So you can actually have a SQL server in the cloud that right. you do always on availability groups uh, as a backup, too. So you can have, you know, a much higher uh, HA rating. You know, you can have a, a much lower um, SLA or more demanding SLA, I yeah. should say. So, I, yeah, I've got to think that in an organization running in a single point of failure, when the boss says, how do we increase reliability? The idea that you can not come with a six digit number for new equipment and so forth and say, we can literally do this as an insurance policy. It's a few hundred dollars a month at most and have that whole backup running there. I think that's pretty compelling. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, when, when, whenever uh, in the past we were considering getting those failover servers, it's like, Good grief! You know the the cause in the licensing for the software is as much as the hardware too. Right. So you could easily be looking at a you know over a hundred thousand dollars for one of these failover servers. So to go from that to a total yearly cost of a couple thousand, you know, uh, where yeah. do I sign? Yeah, very compelling. And then it also that that pushes you to we need to be running the latest bits to make this easy. Uh, yes, indeed, indeed. Now uh, the. Um, the feature that they announced at the summit, the past summit, uh, will work with any version from 
2005 and later. So even in that case, if you're kind of running legacy style, mm-hmm. uh, you don't even have to have the latest bits. Nice. Now, if you want to take advantage of all of the, you know, all of the really cool features, such as the always-on availability groups, of course, yes, you do <laughs> do need to have those. But if you just want a backup of your database up there in the cloud, then you are then you're ready to go. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Kevin, always fun to talk to you. I feel like there's two or three other conversations we could have gone to today, but uh, I really wanted to, to circle back a bit on SQL 2014. Uh, appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Richard. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and always fun. I always learn from your end, too. <laughs> Thanks. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio. Run As Radio.